Thanks, Kalia. I'm gonna sing another song. I'm, I'm not singing. <laughs> I'm preaching. Good morning. Hey, uh, we're in Luke chapter 1. If you'd like to turn there in your Bible with me, I'd appreciate that. Luke chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, you can use the one in the pew rack in, in front of you there and follow along. It's the same uh, translation that I have today. Luke chapter 1. We are in our series right now, uh, our Christmas series called Zechariah's Song. And uh, we're getting to see the, this response, this this overflow of praise from this new father who was thought to be too old to have kids and uh, his wife was barren and God did a wonderful miracle. And then uh, his, his son would be born and they would name him John. Right? First of all, Zechariah means, remember what this means? Yahweh remembers, right? Or God remembers. So the, there's this time between the Old Testament book of Malachi and the New Testament uh, gospel accounts and especially, uh, specifically Luke, which is probably the earliest account. Uh, so we have this time of about 400 years of what we call silence, where the, the, there were no prophets that were speaking, there were, uh, there were no scriptures uh, recorded. It was silent. But what was not silent was God's word from the Old Testament. They, they had that. They could look at it. They studied it. They, they held on to these promises. And Zechariah was a priest, and, and he held on to these promises too and studied them and taught them as well. And then the people of God, God's people who, who uh, had him in their heart and were embracing him and embracing faith, continued to speak those truths in their lives. So God was not silent in those ways. There was just no prophet and no, no Messiah had come yet. So then what we see in, in this Old Testament uh, prophecy, in this, this Old Testament promise, is that, that God would send a Redeemer. God would send the Messiah, that God himself would come to earth and visit us and be, live amongst us, tabernacle with us, right? And that he would be our redemption, that he would go, uh, he would live, he'd, he'd teach, he'd heal, and then he'd go to the cross and die in a place that we deserve to die for the sins that we had committed. Not something that he had done wrong. See, he, he went to the cross because... He blasphemed. He said that he was God and that people should worship him, that only he could forgive sins. And they crucified him because of that, because you don't say you're God if you're not God. Well, three days later, guess what happened? God rose from the dead. And, and, and so we celebrate that. But, but Zechariah gets this word from the angel, and that kind of breaks the silence in Luke 1. Like, hey, listen, Zechariah, uh, you're going to have a kid, and his, his name's going to be called John, and John will be a forerunner to the Messiah, the one that prepares the way for the Messiah. And John, we said, means God is gracious, right? Because God wanted to pour out his grace and reveal that grace that he promised so long ago. So, so many people were holding on to these promises of God. And, and now we see that Zechariah, not only is he going to have a son that he thought he couldn't have, but this, his son is going to be the forerunner to the Messiah. That means the Messiah is coming. It was his first Christmas, right? Christmas was, was on its way. And, and this Christmas song that he sang was was one of joy and praise from the depths of his heart for what God had done. So we, we looked a couple weeks ago at, him, at God breaking the silence with this angel's pronouncement. And last week, we looked at Zechariah and his initial response of praise. And, and after, you know, it, he kind of had a moment of disbelief, and, and God silenced him and, and muted him so he couldn't speak. And then as soon as the baby was born, and, and he was eight days old during his, at, right after his circumcision, he, he's, he's able to speak and praise God. And, and they made sure to name him John, and he was just overflowing with this praise. And that's what this is, this overflow of praise. For, now, for you and I, the question I, I, I had us ask last week, right? Remember this? So what song are you singing? What song am I singing? That, that's, that's what we asked last week. Because above all the circumstances of our life, above all the pains and the tough times in our life, there is a song that should be sung that is higher than all of those. 
that's better than all of those things, that, 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 that um, makes all of those seem like a pale in comparison, right? And that song is about the redemption offered in Jesus Christ our Lord. And for you and I, that, that we look back to the cross and we look back to the redemption that he accomplished for us and we should be praising about that. And so as we celebrate Christmas, I, I kind of went Christmas heavy last week, right? We love, I, I'm like, I love Christmas. I love Christmas songs. I love Christmas decorations because they continually remind me about Jesus, that he came to redeem us. So I'm going to go all out. I want us to be, be like decorated like big time, right? So we, we know, we remember, and we, we, we shine it to the world and sing that song that the Christ has come, the Redeemer has come. For unto us a child has been born, and he is Christ the Lord. My, his name is Mighty God, Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace. Those are his names, right? He has come, and he has been our redemption. So, of course, you and I, I, I argued this last week, we should just leave this decorated all year long, right? Because that's the song we should sing all year long. But especially right now in this season, especially in our culture, in America where we celebrate, celebrate Christmas or the holidays, it is about Jesus. And the songs are about Jesus. And we should be shining the light and singing the song about Jesus. Now for today, we're going to look at this, the promise that, that he held on to, this uh, Abrahamic covenant. Last week we looked at the Davidic covenant. And, and the joy he had in seeing that come to fruition and from 2 Samuel. And then we're going to see today the Abrahamic covenant, which goes farther back, goes to Genesis. And we're going to look in Genesis at that covenant that he established with Abraham for his people, that it would be Christ, the Redeemer. We'll see how that comes to fruition. But we're going to look at the promise today. And here's the question I want us to ask or ponder today. Here's the question. Do I live by fear and guilt, or do I live by faith and righteousness? Do I live by fear and guilt, or do I live by faith and righteousness? And, and we're going to take a look at that today because I, I believe that as we look at the promise of God, and as Zechariah looked at the promise as he sings this song, continues to sing this song, he is, he is living by faith and righteousness. And not his own righteousness, right? He's living by righteousness that comes from the righteous one, the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So let's pray, and we'll get to work in our passage in Luke chapter 1. Father, we are so grateful to be here today. We're so grateful that you have drawn us together to gather as the body of Christ. God, it's, it's Christ whom we worship. It's his name that we elevate and lift up because there is no na other name among men by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. And you have given him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And we thank you for that. We thank you that our Lord, that our God came to earth incarnate in flesh dwelled among us, led us, guided us, and died for us. But God, he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And, we're, and God, we, we, we praise him because he, he was victorious over death. So God, as we come today, now we invite his spirit to be in our midst and to lead us and to guide us and to, that we'd open our minds and our hearts to be receptive to his truth from his word that he would challenge us and change us and we would be conformed into the image of the Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. So we're in Luke, and we're in chapter 1. And we're going we're gonna to kind of go back a little bit, backtrack some of the song we sang, la or sang read last week, right, that he sang. And we're going to look at verses 67 uh, through 70, 75 today, okay? So he, he's getting ready, to, he, just, he prophesies. It says this, uh, Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, 
just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. All right? So we're going to break this down today, and we're going to see this overflow continue, this praise continue, and we're going to look at the promise, the promise that Zechariah is holding on to here in this, in this text. Okay, so number one is this. The promise reveals God's mercy. The promise reveals God's mercy. Now let's look at 72 and the first part of 73 together. It says, He has dealt what? Mercifully. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered His holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. So he, this, this promise is revealing God's mercy, that, that God was going to be merciful towards his people. Now keep your finger here, right? Put your ribbon here, leave, leave it in Luke. We're going to go to Genesis now, the first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. And we want to see this, this mercy presented to Abraham, right? Our fathers, this covenant. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham was, before he was Abraham, he was Abram, and Abram means father of nation. And then Abraham was the father of a multitude of nations, is what it means. So there was, there was something to be said for that, and we're going to see that today. Because the promise, the promise given to Abraham initially here in 12 was the promise that it was to Israel. It was to and for Israel. And, and it's, it's even a promise that isn't totally, hasn't totally come to fruition yet today. That Israel hasn't, doesn't have the boundaries that it, God had established it to have. But it will one day. One day Christ will return and reign and rule, and it will be the nation of Israel. Right? That promise will come to fruition. But he started in 12, and then you can look on later on in your, in your scriptures together tonight, in 15 and in 17, and, and even up, up through Genesis. There's tons of opportunities, I think 28 or so times, that, that the Abrahamic covenant is mentioned and talked about and seen. And it's a covenant that's a lasting covenant between God and his people. And, and it's, it's from God. It's not like, well, I'll scratch your back if you scratch my back. It's, I'm going to scratch your back whenever it itches because I'm God. I'm going to make a covenant with you, a promise with you, and it's going to be done. It's mine. It doesn't matter what you do. It's mine. Right? And the hope was for the nation and then for all the peoples that would be blessed, all the nations of the earth that would be blessed. So Abraham, it says this in, in verse uh, 1, the, the Lord said to Abram, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So there's a leap of faith going on. Verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt, uh, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. There, there's the initial covenant that he's making right there with Abraham. And this is, this is mercy being revealed. See, here's what happens. It, right there initially, it's like, okay, well, that sounds great. I, I, we're going to be a great nation. But there was this faith that had to be had, and this, this faith journey that had to be had in God, a faith, a faith journey in God, like trusting God, that he would accomplish those things. And, and this, this comes after God's promise, right, in the Garden of Eden, right, when, when he, this, this, the seed of the woman, right, is, is something wrong here. But the, the snake, the serpent who tempted Eve, he said, you know what, listen, from the seed of the woman, I'm going to produce the one that's going to crush the serpent, Right? So the initial promise of God was way back when, when he said, I'm going I'm to supply a redeemer. It'll come out of this woman, this woman's seed, and, and there will be a redeemer. 
that will, that will be a blessing, right, to the, to the nations because he will be the one that can redeem the nations. And he will be the one who can finally defeat Satan, sin, and death once and for all. So that promise was back in Genesis 3. And now we have in Genesis 12, and, and Abraham has heard of that and knows, like, okay, there's, there's stuff going on there. And now you're going to be the father of many nations. And out of, out of your nations, many will be blessed. Okay, this, this is what's coming now. So there's this mercy that's going to be seen. And we say mercy, and I want to understand what mercy is. We, we, we talk about grace and mercy, right? Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. So, wow, man, God's grace. God, God, I don't deserve God's love. That's amazing. Thank you, God, for your love. That's a grace. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So when we say that the promise reveals God's mercy, what we have to understand is that it reveals our heart also. It reveals that we aren't all good. That somewhere, something went wrong. If we're just getting a gift that we don't deserve, oh, well, that's so nice. A lot of us get that all the time. But when we're given that gift, and it is something that, that we shouldn't have at all because we deserve something else, that's when it becomes mercy. And that something else that we deserve is earned by us. It's, it's like our criminal justice system. When you break a law, you go to jail or you pay the consequences, right? You pay the fine, you, you have to do uh, traffic school, or, or worse, you go to, go to prison. There are consequences to be paid for what we do, the actions we do. And, and the Bible says that, that we have all sinned, and we've all fallen short of God's glory, right? We have all made mistakes, we've all, we've all messed up, that we have, we have dri- driven a wedge, or a, there's now a chasm between us and God because of our sin. And what we deserve, the Bible says, the wages of that sin is death, and it's separation from God forever. And when, when Adam and Eve sinned, uh, sin entered, entered the world, death entered the world. They were immortal. They would live in, in the Garden of Eden forever. And once sin entered the world, now their bodies would begin to die. And f- same as for you and I. It's been passed down, right? We, we also were born and we started to, to grow up, but we started to die. Our bodies began to die. And these bodies, unfortunately, one day will die. Now our soul, the, uh, me, Brandon, who I'm talking to you, right? That's my soul. That's eternal, so my, my body is going to fleshly die because sin is in the world. But my soul also now has this opportunity to be either close to God or separated from God. And, and what I deserve is to be separated from God forever. But what God wants is for me to be drawn near to him forever. But there's this problem, right? So mercy is there. How do we deal with this problem? Brandon, you deserve the cross. And separation from me forever is what God would say. But I don't want that, so I'm going to give you something even though you deserve something else, right? I'm giving you something even though you deserve something else. And that's where mercy comes in. He's not giving me what I do deserve. And what, how did he do that? Well, he accomplished that by going there on my behalf anyway. See, God is so just and God is so holy and God is so pure. He just can't let sin go. He's like, oh, you know what? Oh, we'll forget that one. No, no big deal. You know, we do that with each other, right? We, we kind of offend each other sometimes or, or our kids did something. It's like, you know what? Let's, let's just move on, move past it, kind of sweep it out at the door. We're done. God can't do that. God has this record, and it's etched in there for good. And nothing we can do can erase it or get rid of it. And it's there, and, and it's impure, and he's not. And we can't be with him if we're impure. But he wants so badly for us to be with him. I've said this before as an illustration. Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and shedding of his blood is, is the Clorox bleach we need to the stains in our life that we can't remove. Jesus is the one that cleans us up. Jesus is the one that can 
make us whole again. Jesus is the one who can buy and purchase our freedom by his shed blood. So this mercy is there, um, and especially in, in this time from, from Abraham to Zechariah. Not, not just the time of silence, but the time from Abraham all the way to Zechariah. I mean, t- thousands of years. Israel, people, had gone astray. They, they were not straight and narrow. They were not put together well. There was something wrong. And they continued this cycle of abandoning God and, and, and going into their own passions and evil. And they, and, but God, but God, thank you, God, continued to pursue his people with love and offer redemption to them. So where, where's this mercy? What does this mercy look like? We have this problem. We have this issue. We've, we've sinned and, and drawn ourselves away from God. What does this mercy look like? We'll turn to the book of Acts with me, please. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3. You've got the Romans, you've gone too far. If you get to Acts chapter 4, you've gone too far. We're in Acts chapter 3. <clears throat> and, and I know there's more. I really want you to study more on the promise of Abraham and go home and look at that. Because there's more, you'll see more of that mercy. Because right now we're saying, oh, he's going to be a great nation. But there's so much more to that. And we see a lot of it explained in the New Testament. And that's where we're going to go right now. What does this mercy look like? It's in Acts chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 24, and we'll read through 26. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. He's, now, this is Peter talking to Jewish people. Listen, to you guys, this is, you're part of this line. You're part of this promise. Don't you know this? Don't you get it? You need, you need to understand where this mercy comes from because they, they think it's of themselves. They think that God's, God will maybe provide later. And, and even the Jews today, the, Jew, the Jews in, uh, in, in the world today are st- like these guys. Like, yeah, you, the, the bloodline is there. You're part of this ancestry, but you don't believe. You're, there's, there's a step missing here, that you're missing the mercy. The promise reveals the mercy of God, not just the promise. And it goes on here in verse 26. God raised up his servant, or translations, Jesus, right? And sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. See, there's this problem. There's this evil inside of us. And, and God had to raise up Jesus his servant, to take care of the problem. The promise, the blessing to the nations, the blessing to to the families of all the earth was Jesus Christ. That was the promise. And we see the Messiah has come and Zechariah is overwhelmed with this and and like his his son is going to be the forerunner and he knows Jesus is on the way. He's excited and and he knows that the Messiah is actually in the womb of Mary right now. If you look at the story, he knows this. He knows that redemption is on the way and that the servant that God is raising up has come. That's what Christmas is about. God's servant who's come to give us the mercy that we don't deserve. That should excite us. That should motivate us. That should, that should move us, right? To share that hope with others as well. This covenant was like, it started this, this covenant back in, in, actually the covenant, the promise back in Genesis 3 started this trickle, right? It's like the headwaters, and it started this trickle of streams, and this stream turned into a river. And this, this covenant was, was, 
was the source of all this to flow from that time on. And that flow came, came through, through the Old Testament and up to the New Testament and now to you and I and continues to flow on. And that, that is that it's Jesus Christ that through the centuries God is offering to provide forgiveness and redemption and blessing to all of those who would have faith in Christ alone. Right? It's faith in Christ that he's merciful, that he wants to, to give us mercy and extend mercy to us. So when, when, Zechariah, when Zechariah sings this song and, and talks about this song, what does he say at the first part of it? He says, the Lord has dealt mercifully with our fathers. See, he knows the history, but he, it goes beyond that. He knows his own heart. And, and he, I mean, he was just muted. He, he knows his own heart. He knows his doubt that he might have or sin that he has in his life. He knows his own heart. And that leads to the next part of today's message is number two, the promise changes our hearts. The promise is about changing our hearts. That, that God wants to speak here. Not, it's not just, oh, it's a promise. It's great. Let's believe it. Let's go. There is something that has to happen right here. The last part of this scripture in Acts, Acts uh, chapter 3 said that, that God raised up his servant Jesus, right? And sent him first to you to bless you by what? By turning each of you from your evil ways. It, it, it didn't say to straighten up and follow a list of rules to do. That turn is that we talk about repentance, right? We, we turn our hearts from ourselves and we turn our hearts to Jesus Christ and said, I, I, I need you. I can't bring you anything. I can't offer you anything that you would accept. I need to be empty before you so that I can hunger and thirst for you and you will fill me up. So going back to Luke, back to your, where your finger was or your ribbon, Luke chapter 1. We're going to read uh, 73, the last part of 73, and we're going to read 74. So the promise changes our heart. The promise changes our heart. It said, He has given us this privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve Him without fear. To serve Him without fear. So God's given us this privilege since we've been rescued from the hand of our enemies. And, and we'll see in a few minutes the enemy that we really have is ourselves and, and Satan, the war he has against us. He wants to devour us and destroy us. He wants us to, to wallow in our own self-pity and guilt and shame and continue in our own sin and not have anything to do with Jesus, not embrace the Messiah as Christ the Lord, the, the God of the universe. That's what Satan wants to do. But, but God's given away through his mercy to let us have victory over our enemy, our adversary, the devil. And, and here's, here's something I want to mention with this. We're going to look at a passage. If you turn to me in John chapter 4, it's right after Luke. Luke, then John chapter 4. It talks about serving him without fear. You know, when we, when we are, as human beings, when we are in a position to try to, try to be good and try to earn our way, uh, that becomes and breeds legalism, and that, that breeds like a works, a works-based righteousness. And works-based righteousness never, ever pans out. Uh, it goes back to the very beginning when we, we first see the offering from Cain and Abel to God. And you see this, this works righteousness versus faith righteousness, okay? Uh, Cain killed Abel, right? But, but Abel comes to the, the altar, and he offers his best in, in faith. says, God, this is yours, not mine. I want to give it to you freely from my heart to you. It's a gift. I believe. I trust in you. Thank you. I accept your gift, God. God says, yeah, that's, that's what I want. I want your heart. I want your faith. Well, Cain comes up, and he's like, all right, here you go. Here's my stuff. I'll put it on the altar. 
I'm, I'm giving you my offering. I'm, I'm putting in the time. I'm, put, I'm, I'm running out the clock. I'll punch it later today. Just make sure it's recorded. That's what Cain's attitude was. Cain's attitude was one of, if I do it, it'll be good. It's good enough. If I just take care of it and do it. See, it wasn't from the heart. And God's like, I don't accept that. I don't want your, your little gift without any heart with it. Quit, quit doing this and, and believe me and trust me from the heart. And Cain got mad, right? He got mad that his own works wouldn't, wouldn't earn him anything. And he got so mad that what did he do? He ended up killing his brother. So you have this, this offering of works righteousness versus faith righteousness. And, and Cain just couldn't do enough. Good, I, I don't know what pleases you, God. And what pleases him is faith, right? When we believe, it's uncredited to us as righteousness. We believe, we trust in him that he is the one that redeems, not our works. We can't earn it. He went there because we couldn't do it. It's all about what he has done. But there's this, this thought in the world today, still everywhere, it's all around that if, I, if I'm a good person, if I give enough, if I serve enough, if I you know, donate my time to the Red Cross, but if, I, if I work hard to help people, God will surely accept me. But see, all of that is unacceptable to God if our heart is still far from him. So we live out our days in a works, works righteousness-based system. If, I, if I'm trying to earn my way, we work out our days living in fear, wondering, have I done enough? That's, that's universal. To every religion and every even not non-religion in the world except Christianity. Because in Christianity, we approach God in faith because He has done all the work. And we trust in Him. Our trust is not in ourselves. Our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in Jesus Christ who has done the work. And see, when we have that hope of Christ, it changes our heart. I no longer have to wonder, have I done enough? I no longer have to wonder or live in fear thinking maybe will God accept me? I hope God will accept me. You don't have to hope God will accept you. You can know and have hope that he does accept you because of Jesus. And what it takes is faith in Christ. Our offerings to him are, are nothing. It doesn't, he doesn't need anything from us. What he wants is our heart and then offerings motivated from a heart. Not offerings that he has to reject because it was checking off a list. Christ gave us a righteousness by faith. So we're in John chapter 4. I want to show you this, this heart change. And, and, and John 4, uh, looking at verse 19 through 26 together. Oh, wrong page. So sir, the woman replies. So he, he's at the w- woman at the well, and he just kind of called her out on her sin. And she says, sir, the woman, woman replied, I, I see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. So just pause there. There's, there's some form of worship going on when the Samaritans, are, they're worshiping on their mountain and their fathers are worshiping and who knows what they're worshiping, right? But they're doing something. They're doing something, right? They're trying to achieve something. Jesus told her, Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews. We'll pause there. This is the Abrahamic covenant. Salvation is from the Jews. That God would make them a great nation. And from that nation, from the seed of David, right, would come the the Messiah who would be the blessing to all people, the Redeemer. 
This is what he's talking about. Jesus says, salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in what? In spirit and in truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. So she was eagerly expecting that she knew about this who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Isn't that great? So He's talking to her. Jesus told her, I, the one speaking to you, am he. You know, she's still thinking that the Messiah is going to come. He'll make it clear. He'll give us this list of what we need to do and how we need to behave and what we're going to look like. And Jesus says, no, you're, you're going to worship in spirit and in truth. There's going to be a heart change within you. It's not just going to be the outward signs, but it's going to be a heart change that then produces real fruit. We can produce fake fruit all we want, right? We can gussy up and look, look our part. But that, that is fake if it doesn't come from a real heart change where we worship God and obey God and love God from the heart as we worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want to go to the book of Galatians, if you go there with me as well, a few books into the, after Romans, Acts Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, then Galatians. A little short book. We, we studied this about a year ago or so. Went through the whole entire book. We're going to be looking at Galatians 3, 5 through 9. Remember, this whole book was about this, this debate or this, this friction between the law and of grace, right? We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works. So we go on to Galatians 3, looking at verses 5 through 9 together. Paul asks this, So then, does God give you the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing works of the law? Or is it by believing what you heard? Just like Abraham, right? Oh, Father Abraham, we just talked about him. Who believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. It was credited to him for righteousness. You know then that those who have faith, these are Abraham's sons. Now the scripture saw in advance that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and proclaimed the gospel ahead of time to Abraham, saying, All nations will be blessed through you. Consequently, those who have faith are blessed with Abraham who had faith. You see, this faith has to come from the heart. It can't be something that we earn. right? This, this reward from God is not something we earn. It's not something we deserve. We deserve a lot different. But God took that place so that you and I could have faith in Him, trust in Him, and believe, and then we would be saved. See, Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And, and faith is still today credited to us as righteousness. Not works, not squared away life, but faith, but trust in the Messiah is what we're talking about. You see, we must make a shift in our mind and in our heart. And see, faith comes from the heart, right? We make a shift from this self-righteous, works-based righteousness, right? This works-based religion. If, if we are trying to earn our way or trying to look the part, it's, it's because of two things. One, we just don't know the truth. Or we don't really care to know the truth. And we're just going to look the part so people think that we know the truth. See, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we only come to the Father through him. 
through what he's done and what he's accomplished on the cross. Our faith must be in him, and it has to start with the heart. Some people just don't have the heart. Maybe some of you don't have the heart to serve Jesus that way. You just want to look good and, and put your time in and then do what you want right here. God's like, no, I, I, the promise, the promise of the Messiah is that he wants to and will change your heart. He'll change us from self-righteous to self-denying, empty vessels ready to be hunger, hungry and thirsty for his righteousness, what he can only give us. The problem is this, that we're too good. We're too good for our own good. We, you know, a lot of us are really nice people. You guys are great people. I, I love you. I think a lot of you are better than me. I, I look up to you and your, your love and your joy. And sometimes that works against us. We're just too good for our own good. And we don't see the depth of our heart because it's covered by our own goodness. But our own goodness is as filthy rags when it's presented to Jesus Christ. And it needs some cleaning up. And, and the problem is this, that our heart, we need to change our heart, right? The heart finds it inconvenient to change. It finds it inconvenient to change. You know, we only really want to change when, it, when we're ready. This, this week we went down, we were going to the concert down in Reading. There's a K-Love Christmas concert. I oh, was so excited, right? My family's going, my mom's here from Montana. We're going to go together and on the way down, my daughter gets sick. We had to pull off the side of the freeway, right? I, I don't like it because it's inconvenient. It'd be more convenient if you got sick at home in the bathroom for me. <laughs> That's more convenient. That's when I want you to get sick. But convenience isn't usually what it's about, is it? Right? Last night, I think Satan loves to mess, mess with me. I'm probably mess with you too, but last night, 4 a.m., 4 a.m., our smoke detectors all go off in the house. Right? I... Listen, I love smoke detectors. I want to know, and it'll be very convenient for me to have those things go off when there is a fire. There was nothing. <laughs> My ears were just squealing, like screaming. Like, 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 it was horrible. It was very inconvenient. I did not like the inconvenience of that. And then I'm, I'm laying in bed. My ears are ringing. And I'm like, I need to go to sleep. And I'm just anticipating it going off again. You know, I'm like, is it, what's, what happened? What's, it was inconvenient. And it's like gifts at Christmas time, right? We, we, we're, we're great. When you give me a gift that I want and I'm excited about, I'm excited. But when you give me a gift that I really don't need or don't care about, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that was, that's not really convenient. Like fruitcake, really? Like, <laughs> it's not convenient. I, I, it's not for me. I mean, I, if you want to call me or text me later and say, give me yours, I'll give you my fruitcakes that I get, right? But that's, yeah, Dane, Dane's all about that. Man, that's gross. But see, the same is true with Jesus. A lot of us, at some point in our life, Jesus just wasn't convenient for us. No, but you know what? I, I'm good. I got this, Jesus. You stay, you stay a little farther away, and I, yeah, I'll, I'll acknowledge you, but I, I got this. It's not convenient for me right here, right now, to change my heart and change my way. But the promise of God is that he, in Jesus, would come and change our heart. Our hearts must change he didn't come to see if there were any hearts that were pure. Okay? When Jesus came, when the Christmas story unfolded, Jesus wasn't born to check in and say, man, yeah, good job, your heart's pure, keep going. He came because none of us were pure. And it may not have been convenient for any of us because we wanted to live in that way, and that's where we were. But Jesus still came and said, you are all a wreck and I am the solution. I will be the, I will be the solution and the fix to this huge problem called sin if, 
it's convenient for you. And for some it wasn't, and that's why they nailed him to a cross. People are still nailing him to a cross today. But he died once for all, for all of us, that if we would believe and we'd have faith in Christ, we would be forgiven, that he would be our Savior. And he'd rescue us from the hand of our enemy, Satan, and he'd, he would make us his sons and daughters, adopted, grafted into the family of God. He would change our hearts, and we would no longer have to live in fear. We could live without fear. Have I done enough? It doesn't matter if you think you've done enough. Jesus has. And we go to sleep tonight on the pillow soundly because we have a hope that's in him. Finally, as the song goes on, we're going to go back to our, our passage in Luke chapter 1. The promise, number three, makes the invisible visible. Makes the invisible visible. I'm going to read the entire passage, or not the entire, the, the 72 to 75 again, and, and we'll see this a little more clearly. Zechariah overflows. He says, He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hands of our enemies, given us the privilege to what? To serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. You see, there's this invisible thing that drives us. It's usually guilt and fear. Those are, those are two, two of the great spoilers of life. Fear and guilt. And, and shame is, is it right in there with that guilt, right? And we, we, we try to muscle, th muscle through. We try to push through. We try to just strive to do what we can. And we kind of look like our heads are above water most of the time. But this invisible, deep down fear and guilt is there. And they're two great spoilers. But they have been taken away for those of us that believe because Christ has disarmed Satan and sin forever in the lives of those of us who would believe in him. That's what he's done. That's this hope that we have, that the invisible would become visible. And I want to show you what this looks like. Let's go to Hebrews. We're done in Luke. Let's go to Hebrews. New Testament, just before James. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 2. Some of these books are just like one page. There we go. Hebrews chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 14 and go through 18. <clears throat> Here's what it says. It says, Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these, so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus came, he's like, I'm, I'm going to put on flesh, I'm going to be like you in flesh, and I'm going to take care of Satan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live, I'm going to die, I can do it, I'm God. Right? If I wasn't God, I couldn't do it. I couldn't be divine, and couldn't be sinless, uh, but I'm God. And he came, and he, he lived, and he died, and it said that, uh, that and he would free, it says in verse 15, and he would free those who were held in slavery all their lives by what? By fear and death. See, that, that's what enslaves us. Right? Fear and death, it's right there. It's, it's, sometimes it's knocking at our door, but it, it pulls us down and, and holds us down and it chains us. But Christ came that he would die and destroy the one that has the power of death, that is the devil, and he would free us. He would free us, break those chains. 
uh, verse 16, for it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help who? Abraham's offspring. This promise is to anyone who would believe. Abraham's offspring, the blessing would come to anyone. Therefore, verse 17, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way, in the flesh, right? We'll talk about that in a couple weeks. So that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in the matters pertaining to God in order to, right, to make atonement for the sins of people. For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. You see, there's, there's this thing that happens when Christ is the atonement, when Christ is the promise and he comes to redeem and, and share his mercy with us. There's something that happens. He releases us from this guilt and fear. He releases us. We don't have to worry anymore. And there's, there's these things that are there. We, we can serve God, right, without fear is what Zechariah said. God, we want to serve you. You're going you're to do this so we can serve you without fear. And it says that in this passage we just read, that he, he might destroy the one holding the power and free us who are held in slavery by fear and death. So we're going to be free from fear so we can serve him without fear. Not have to wonder, God, are you going to accept me? God, I don't know what to do. Is, have I done enough? Then he went on, he says, he says in the verse 18, for since uh, he himself has suffered, oh, sorry, before that, verse 17, uh, he ma makes an atonement for the sins of the people. He makes an atonement, says, I'm going to give you a righteousness, I'm going to wipe you clean, remember, I'm going to Clorox bleach you, because I can do that, and I'll wipe away all your sins, and you will live in righteousness, not your own righteousness, not your own ways to righteousness, but my righteousness. You came empty, hungry, and thirsty for righteousness, and I will fill you with my righteousness. And that's what he does. So we can live free, right? Free from fear. We, don't have to serve, we can serve him without fear. And that we can live righteous because of him. And it goes on that last verse. Since he himself has suffered when he is tempted, he is able to help those who are also tempted. See, we don't have a great priest that is unable to sympathize with our weakness, Hebrews says. But he's gone, got, he was, we have one that's been tempted in every way, just as we are. So he's able to sympathize with that weakness, right? He's able to, to understand those temptations, but he was without sin. So he will give us the help we need to live holy. And see, that this is this invisible, this holiness, this righteousness, living without fear is the invisible but it's the outpouring of people like you and I who have faith in Jesus Christ. It's, it's the song that we sing like last week and the song Zechariah sings and he pours out, I, I can't wait, we're going to live in a way that's righteous and holy and without fear because of Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. That's what this Christian faith is about, that we would be an outpouring, that people would see Jesus through us. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 says this, You are a royal, uh, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that, so that, why are we that? So that we may proclaim the praises of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? That's what we're to do. That's what this song is about. That's what this hope is about. This invisible, this invisible capability to do that is from Jesus Christ. It's from him. Colossians 1, 27 says this, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, the invisible, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ in us. That invisible is Christ in us. He lives in us. And it produces this praises and this, this holiness and this righteousness and serving him without fear. 
So we look absolutely different to the world. We receive mercy, so we're God's people, and we're, we're out of darkness and into light in order to proclaim His praises of the one who brought us out of that darkness and into the light. So for you and I, listen, as we, as, as we ask that original question, let's go back to our original question. Do I live by fear and guilt or faith and righteousness? Do I live by fear and guilt or faith and righteousness? Especially now, during Christmas, what does your life look like? Is it riddled with fear and guilt? Or is that invisible thing coming visible in the form of faith and righteousness? Are you generous instead of greedy? Are you forgiving instead of bitter? Are you loving instead of holding a grudge and, or hate in your heart? Do you serve and give instead of take? Do you believe and trust the promise of God or do you wonder and fear? The promise is there for you and I. The promise is there for us to hold on to, that we would trust in Jesus. That, and listen, it's not about doing it so that people would cheer for us. It's about doing it to show and shine His marvelous light that when they see our good deeds, that there would be a glimpse of our King and a glimpse of His kingdom and a glimpse of the power and the transformation found in Christ and that maybe they could be transformed by Him too. That's not only my song I want to sing, that's the way I want to live without fear in holiness and righteousness. And that is the promise. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. Father, we are, we are always grateful to be here as, as the body of Christ and to, to gather together as brothers and sisters. God, and I, I thank you that, that I, I know so many here have, have absolutely trusted you in faith as Savior. And, and God, we have that hope that invisible is becoming visible because you are doing a work inside of us and producing a fruit that is external. God, we want that fruit to continue to be fruit that doesn't have fear involved. It doesn't have guilt and shame involved, but is, a, is, is outwardly expressed in faith, in trust, in hope, in righteousness, in holiness. That God, people would see Jesus and they'd worship him because of it. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close, we always close our service with a time of response, a time of worship, but a time to respond in worship or in prayer. Uh, I, I'll be down front if you'd like to pray about something. Maybe you need to pray right, right where you are and just say, God, am I living by guilt and fear? For my living by faith and righteousness and, and let him let him transform your heart and change that so we can live that, especially now. Whatever you need during this time, let's respond. Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. When I'm found in the desert place, though I'm through the wilderness, blessed be your name.